Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, this is Amit. On behalf of all of us at Cardio Nerds, we are thrilled to bring to you our Decipher the Guideline series for the 2022 AHA, ACC, HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite-sized, high-impact, clinical vignette-based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting-edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and created for educational purposes only. This series was developed by the Cardio Nerds and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college student through advanced fellows with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bazanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance along the way. So friends, join us as we get to learn about the heart failure guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. And now, let's get nerdy. The following question refers to sections 7, 7, and 10.2 of the 2022 AJACC HFSA guideline for the management of heart failure. The question is asked by St. George University medical student and cardiac intern Chelsea Amo Twinaboa, answered first by Baylor College of Medicine cardiology fellow and cardiac ambassador Dr. Jamal Mahar, and then by expert faculty Dr. Michelle Kittleson. Dr. Kittleson is a director of education in heart failure and transplantation, director of heart failure research, and professor of medicine at the Smith Heart Institute Cedar Sinai. She is deputy editor of the Journal of Heart and Lung Transplantation on Guideline Writing Committees for the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, is the co-editor-in-chief for the ACC Heart Failure Self-Assessment Program, and on the board of directors for the Heart Failure Society of America. Her clinician's guide to the 2022 Heart Failure Guidelines published in the Journal of Cardiac Failure are a must-read for everyone. Dr. Kennelson, it's such an honor to have you with us. Well, I am delighted to be here. Go Cardio Nerds! Hey, and that sets up for the first question. Ms. Hefner is a 54-year-old woman who comes to your office for a routine visit. She does report increased fatigue and dyspnea on exertion without new orthopnea or extremity edema. She was previously diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, morbid obesity, obstructive sleep apnea, and TIA. She is currently prescribed metformin 1,000 milligrams twice daily, aspirin 81 milligrams daily, resuvastatin 40 milligrams nightly, and furosemide 40 milligrams daily. In clinic, her BP is 140 over 85, heart rate is 110 beats per minute, rhythm is irregularly irregular, found to be atrial fibrillation on ECG, and BMI is 43. Transthoracic echo shows left ventricular ejection fraction of 60%, moderate left ventricular hypertrophy, moderate left atrial enlargement, and grade 2 diastolic dysfunction with no significant baviopathy. What is the next best step? The answer choices are A, to provide reassurance, B, refer for gastric bypass, C, refer for atrial fibrillation ablation, or D, 
startmetoprolol, and apixaban. So I'm curious, Jamal, what is your intake on this? Thank you. The correct answer here is D, startmetoprolol and apixaban. Ms. Hefbefner has a new diagnosis of atrial fibrillation and has a significantly elevated risk for embolic stroke based on her CHADS2 VEST score of 6. And this is because of her hypertension, diabetes, heart failure, prior TIA, and the female sex. The relationship between atrial fibrillation and heart failure is complex, and the presence of either worsens the status of Doppler. Managing atrial fibrillation in patients with HEF-PES can lead to symptom improvement. This is a class 2A recommendation. However, large randomized controlled trial data are unavailable to specifically Clyde therapy in patients with atrial fibrillation and HEF-PES. Generally, management of atrial fibrillation involves stroke prevention, rate and or rhythm control, and lifestyle and risk factor modification. With regards to stroke prevention, Patients with chronic heart failure with permanent, persistent paroxysmal atrial fibrillation and a CHADS2 VASC score of greater than or equal to 2 for men and greater than or equal to 3 for women should receive chronic anticoagulant therapy, class 1, level of evidence A, with anticoagulation, is used in chronic heart failure patients with atrial fibrillation. DOACs are recommended over warfarin in eligible patients. This is also a class one recommendation. The decision for rate versus rhythm control should be individualized and reflects both patient symptoms and the likelihood of better ventricular function with sinus rhythm. For patients with heart failure and symptoms caused by atrial fibrillation, atrial fibrillation ablation is reasonable to improve symptoms and quality of life. And this is a class 2A recommendation. However, referring for catheter ablation would be premature before first attempting rate control and instituting anticoagulation therapy. Traditionally, beta blockers and non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers are used as first-line agents for rate control in ASAB. Interestingly, a small open-label trial, RATE-AF, in elderly patients with atrial fibrillation and symptoms of heart failure, mostly with preserved left ventricular ejection fraction compared by Zoprolol to digoxin. Although the primary endpoint of quality of life at six months was similar between the two groups, several secondary quality of life endpoints, functional capacity, and reduction in NT-proBNT favored digoxin at 12 months, with similar rate reductions in both groups. More side effects such as dizziness, lethargy, and hypotension were seen with bisoprolol than with digoxin. However, digoxin has a narrow therapeutic window and needs to be monitored more closely. Option A, which was to provide reassurance, is inappropriate as this patient has heart failure with preserved EF. Defined by signs and symptoms of heart failure in patients with an LVEF of 50% or more. Echocardiogram hints, in this case, include left ventricular hypertrophy and diastolic dysfunction. Our patient also has comorbidities frequently associated with HEF-PEF, such as hypertension, diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, and obesity. Other common comorbidities include coronary artery disease, chronic kidney disease, and atrial arrhythmias. When diagnosing HEF-PEF, care must be taken to rule out mimicking conditions such as pulmonary hypertension and amyloidosis. A large portion of the management of HEF-PEF includes 
managing comorbid conditions such as hypertension, OSA, and AFib. At this time, she is symptomatic with AFib and rapid ventricular response and warrants both rate control and stroke profile access. Although gastric bypass should be considered for patients with a BMI greater than 35 with comorbidities such as hypertension or diabetes, and patients with a BMI greater than 40 independent of comorbid conditions, this is not the next step at this time. First, she should receive anticoagulation to reduce the risk of stroke and achieve better control of her heart rate and blood pressure. Patients with HFPAS and hypertension should have medication titrated to attain blood pressure targets in accordance with published clinical practice guidelines to prevent morbidity. Although the optimal blood pressure goal and hypertensive regimen in patients with HFPAS is not known, HFPAS trials so far have shown that the RAS antagonists, including ACE inhibitors, ARBs, MRAs, and possibly ARNIs, could be first-line agents to treat hypertension in patients with HFPAS. Beta blockers may be used to treat hypertension in patients with a history of myocardial infarction, symptomatic coronary artery disease, or AFib with rapid ventricular response. These effects need to be balanced with the potential contribution of chronotropic incompetence to exercise tolerance in some patients. The main takeaway in this patient and in this case is that in patients with HFPAS, the diagnosis and management of comorbidities are very, very important, especially the treatment of hypertension and atrial fibrillation. And with this, I would like to invite Dr. Kittleson for any comments that she may have about this and any suggestions about how to think about these cases. Well, thank you so much. It's such a good case. And I will say the first comment I want to make is that HESPEF is a diagnosis of exclusion, which is the hardest kind of diagnosis to make. And not all your patients will be named Miss Hefpethner. Yes, I, I got the joke there. And you're going to have to figure that out. So step one, figure out, is it the heart's fault at all? Maybe the congestive symptoms are because of renal failure, liver failure, obesity with severe venous stasis. If you're convinced that it is the heart's fault, the next question is, is there an underlying etiology such as an infiltrative cardiomyopathy? Remember, 15% of patients admitted with HFPEF in one series had amyloidosis, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, pericardial disease, valvular disease, right heart failure, high output heart failure. Your history, it always comes back to the history, will help you differentiate among many of these along with the echo. And finally, if you're convinced it's HFPEF, if you've ruled out all the other potential etiologies for which there may be disease-directed therapy, then you think about what to do next. So I start with my history, my physical, the echo to help rule out these other potential uh, etiologies. I'll also say I think you covered it so beautifully that rule number one is help the patient feel better. To help the patient feel better, you have to figure out what's making the patient feel poorly. In this case, it's atrial fibrillation. Target the atrial fibrillation first and see where the dust settles. Thank you, Dr. Kittleson and Jamal, for giving us good insight into HEFTEF. There's nice pointers that we can all learn from and hopefully take with us. Thank you so much. 